Mecca is a place where all things are possible. True activism. True activism. Fighting classism. Fighting classism. Racism. Racism. And sexism. Sexism. Stories grown from the root. Stories coming with truth. Marching together. Together. Fighting together. Together. Building together. Together. We are doing this for us. For us. On the ground level. Hey everybody, this is Perky. And Tahira. <laughs> and we have our guest with us, Rob Lohman. And before we get started, just wanted to introduce the podcast to anybody who has not listened before. We are the On the Ground Level podcast under our For Us Nation nonprofit. And we created this podcast through our organization to uplift our movements and bring access to our communities regarding education, ownership, business opportunities, and more. Uh, you can find us on social media platforms under Forest Nation. We also have our website, forestnation.com or .org. They both go to the same place. You can find this podcast on all streaming platforms. And recently, just to like highlight what we've been talking about, we've been trying to bring more focus to men. We realize that men do not always get a platform to express their vulnerabilities. And so we're trying to we're trying to give that to you guys. We're, we're struggling to, to build it, but this is what we're doing. Right, we're trying. Like, we understand we're two women and we usually talk from our point of view, but we're really doing our best to try to make sure we give platform not only by sharing stuff that we see, but also uplifting you guys on our podcast. So our last episode, right. season two, episode four, was about male victims of domestic violence. And so that's... That's our focus. So please reach out if you have anything specific. And it doesn't have to be about domestic violence. It could just be whatever has happened to you from your male perspective that you're okay with sharing. Um, so yeah, you can find us on Forest Nation. You can find me personally at Perky Sexy Cool or Perky Perspectives. You can find Tahira at I Let the Good Times Roll or through her other brand, Red Eye Media. Um, and today we have our guest, Rob Lohman. He has been sober since 2001 after a suicide attempt. Rob has helped thousands of people find freedom from substance abuse and feeling stuck in a rut to living a transformed life at liftedfromtherut.com. He does this through sharing his testimony, interventions, coaching, speaking, and being the host of both Beyond the Bars Radio and Addiction, Freedom, and Faith podcast. Rob invests in the lives of those wanting to see positive change, whether it is coming out of addiction, prison, or just wanting more for their lives. He is a dynamic speaker who shares an extremely powerful message of restoring hope, identity, and purpose. Rob is also the author of the Addiction Intervention book, which is number one in the 14 categories for bestseller and new release on Amazon. Congratulations. Uh, the, yeah. mission is restoring, <laughs> the mission is restoring hope, identity, and purpose. You can find him at Rob Lohman, Lifted from the Wreck. Cool. Yes. Thank you. Who, who what is a that guy? I want to go. Right, I want to go, <laughs> I, I go talk Every to that guy too. Every time they read their bio, it's like, is that are you talking about me? <laughs> but welcome, Rob. Yes. I lifted from the rut. You know, I thought it was cool. Lifted from the rut on the ground level. That's how I've been running with it so far. So we're going to run with that for a promo too. But um, thank you so much for being on the ground level. Um, do we want to just jump right into questions or any other things we want to plug or say or anything? Hey, I'm good. I, I will tell one. I want I a free thing for your for your audience and listeners. All right. So okay. if, if they go to freerecoverybook.com, mm-hmm. there's a cool resource there for people. So go to freerecoverybook.com. 
that's for you guys. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, let's. Of dive course, in. we're going to plug that into the con the actual notes and stuff, so you guys can find that link. Don't worry, you don't have to memorize it. But we're going to jump right in. Um, so the first question I had was, um, you had a lot of information, obviously, around intervention and how to reach out to someone who's been struggling, right? Like that's the first thing I saw. Like, oh, okay, so he's a person that people feel that they can come to and tell them what's going on. Number one, what has been the top three, let's maybe say like rebuttals that you've heard that are like maybe the most common out of all the different aspects that you've talked to, like the prison and the drug and the, you know, what have you found? Like maybe three that's been like the same. Yeah, for sure. It definitely comes a different perspective from the family or the loved ones. So which angle do you want me to hit? Family whatever one. All right. Let's, whatever <laughs> well, you feel good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I'll tell you this, you know, families call me because they're in crisis. And we have to slow the roll down a little bit and say, all right, is it really a crisis or what's really going on? So my role is to listen and then say, all right, maybe this is the next direction that we need to go. Because what I do, it's either like, hey, let's have a cup of coffee with your loved one or let's literally be around the corner in our cars waiting for the green light. And we show up at the house and block the car in and we go in and it's like guns <laughs> oh, blazing. Not literally, okay. but it's. No, I know you. I get what legit. you're trying to say now. I see. Yeah, mm, it's so, interesting. so family, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it's because they're concerned about a loved one. And a lot right. of the fear is if we do this, Rob, my loved one may never talk to me again. Right. You know, if Absolutely. we do this again, Rob, what if they go, you know, sadly enough, go commit suicide because of what we did? And and there's the fear, reality fears, right? Of like, yeah, it yeah. could happen, but the bottom line is your loved one's dying and struggling right now anyway not living a fulfilled life. And so they're, they're currently dying anyway, in a sense of spiritually, physically, and mentally too. So we're doing this as an act of love. So that's a big objection from the families is the fear of what if, yeah. then the other side of it, when I show up to do the intervention, there's these fears of, but, but what about my dog? And what about my job? And what if people find out? Well, I have three answers to that one, your dog's gonna be fine. Do your job. Um, hopefully we talk about things like FMLA covered by a family medical leave act and things that can right. protect their jobs. And so we talk about those things, but the last one is what do people find out? And guess what? Yeah, shame is real. People already <laughs> Most know. of them already know. Yeah. People already know your coworkers. Know, your family. Like, so the cat's not if out we of don't the bag. Know, we could tell. Yeah. So, yeah. Like you, if you do a meth, you, you're like, yeah. off your rocker for like three days straight and then you crash it's like we noticed <laughs> <laughs> not, to, not to laugh or no, no, we're watching. Not. not that but like we're just trying to say for real we know we can tell yeah. so it's like yeah. it is love that it's coming yeah from. people like, a lot of people who have addiction uh any like especially addictions around substances they think they're doing a really good job at hiding it in a and a lot of the time some of them are some of them are really functional and they that mean me when I'm yeah. be like you can tell I'm it's like yeah we can tell yeah I mean yeah it's like sometimes but it's like uh if we've seen yeah, you no. now if you're Abuse. constantly high then maybe we don't know right because that's right we always <laughs> are that's my that's another question like functioning whatever right because it's like oh, I don't yeah. want maybe I do I don't know but yeah you that, there's know, that right. term functional alcoholic if you want to learn a lot more about it you can go pick up a copy of the addiction intervention book. There you go. Right. But, but, I, but I talk a lot about that. It's, it's the objections, it's the reality, it's things are going on. And, and I look at what I do as an act of love. Like we're trying to bring the bottom up to your loved one in the family system in right. the addiction world. And I, I do career transition, all that kind of stuff too. But mainly we're talking about substance abuse in this instance, because it's dealing with anxiety and depression and those things. And as a guy, you're right. There's a lot of us that don't talk about it because we're too, 
compartmentalize. I, I think a man's brain is like a waffle, right? We compartmentalize mm. everything in such a way that it nothing, some things don't bother the other thing, but um, we'll mm. get more into my story when my waffle turned into a pancake, but we'll get into that. Later. <laughs> I like how you said well, that though, because I, I think that that ties heavily into, and that'll be like a question for later, but like the coping, right? Because it's like, if, if, especially for men, like if you're not expressing it and you're not seeing the links between these other things, you're, you may not realize that you're using this, yeah. whatever coping mechanism that you feel like is safe for you to deal with all that stuff. Right. Um, but yeah. Okay. Sorry. I, was so, I like that analogy. <laughs> no, I mean, it's your question now. <laughs> okay. Well then I'll just get to mine. So we're skipping around a little bit, but during the process of recovery, one must be emotionally vulnerable, right? Uh, how do you encourage men specifically to be emotionally vulnerable? And what advice would you have for other men who suppress their feelings due to their ide- ideas of masculinity? Mm, ma'am, that is, a, that is a huge one. And I, I'm just going to relate yeah. to my story of what happened because this a lot of this came out in a podcast I was on one day about talking about men and anxiety and stuff and light bulb went off for me. So in 2011... I was doing was dealing with suicide ideation. I was getting ready to lose a business just due to sales and production numbers. I felt like I failed as a father, a husband. Like, I mean, the, the messages I just called the devil were in my brain. Like, you suck. You failed. You're a loser. And I'm like, well, I can't show the world that. You know, I got to have something else going on to, to show that, okay, this thing's getting ready to end. But I'm just going to move into the next thing in my life. So for me, I did not talk about a lot of stuff. You know, I was 11 years sober at this point. Right. And I had a bad gambling addiction, which I did not know how that affected my brain at all. But here I am, lost my business. So that was like the nail in the coffin as you failed as a man. Now you have no income, bro, you know, buddy, like what's your deal? And then my wife quit her job uh, shortly after that, just because we were both like our adrenals were shot, which is part of not talking about it, guys. And my wife's adrenals were shot because it was high stress. Our life was pretty crazy. And um, and so here we are with zero income practically, right? That's the recipe for disaster. Living on energy drinks, sugar, not working out. All the stuff that's good for us guys is to work out, not load ourselves up on sugar and caffeine, energy drinks and get like natural adrenaline going. So anyway, my whole mental breakdown, I won't get into all of that, but I had a big mental breakdown in 2012 and it sent me to prison for a little while. And it was at that point I understood mental health. Because see, here's the thing. Guys, listen to this, and girls do this too, I'm sure. Women do this too, but for a guy, I didn't know how many men did this. I thought I was all by myself. So right before I lost my insurance agency, I would be paralyzed by piles of paperwork. Like, I didn't know what to do. I was a little OCD, didn't know it at the time. I know some things about myself now after this, but I couldn't function. And I, one night, I was just sitting there, and this came out of nowhere. I took my fist, and I punched myself in the side of the head as hard as I could. And I saw a flash of light, like in my brain, practically. And I'm like, oh, and I just got back to work. It was like, that woke me up. That, that got my adrenal shot. That gave me a dopamine hit. And I functioned. But that felt good. So I did it again later on. And it, like shortly time after that. And then it got to a point where when I would be stressed, that's how I would handle it. That, so, so like self-harm. I mean, it sounds yeah. familiar. I don't, I don't know how many men will relate to specifically hitting themselves, but like, playing contact sports like boxing I was about to say that yeah right or football or something to where you you get to like hit and be hit like I could see 
some men maybe yeah. lead into that physical aspect yeah. of it, like needing- Like my husband, it's all tattoos. Like, you know, Frankie, it's tattooed, but the tattoo, that's what it represents. It's yeah, that pain, outside but it's like, feeling, yeah. Like, yeah, why but, do you have so much tattoos? <laughs> yeah, and check, check this out though. I was on a podcast after I got out of prison, I was heal, healed and all this stuff and going through my thing, it was all about anxiety. And I'm on this huge podcast network of about 80 podcasters, right? And I was like, hey, yeah, we're gonna do a men's show on anxiety and stuff. And I'm on that. And I said, it was the first time I admitted publicly what I just told you, right? Cause see, I told a therapist this when I was getting ready to get sentenced to prison and she shamed me for doing that. She's like, why would you hit yourself? Like looked at me with disgust. So I'm on this podcast show. I said, guys, I'm going to share something with you right now. I've never shared publicly with anybody. And there were six of us on the podcast show. Five of the six guys had done the same thing in their high anxiety wow. and stressful life. The and same exact thing. Exact same thing. Oh, wow. Punched themselves in the side of the head. Wow. And it was like, because that's like, hit the head against the wall too. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. It's like, I think yeah. I've seen that before now when yeah. I'm like breaking it down. Like, yeah, I feel like I've seen men do that. Yeah, but that comes because we don't talk about it. Right. We're trying we to handle it on our own yeah. and create this thing that we got everything together when, but once I shared that, I literally cried on that podcast show and just uh -huh. like wept because I had never been affirmed in the fact I wasn't the only guy that had done that. Absolutely. Right. So it gave me permission to share it openly, which I do now, obviously, because I just told you all that. See, uh, but, yeah. we need more men to speak on these Yes, things. please. Can y'all take a lead from Rob? Like, can you just say it? Because then you're not alone. <laughs> yeah, amen Hashtag yep. vulnerability is attractive, okay? Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah, for real. Like, and we can necessary. all learn because we all understand that. Even as women, it's like, I don't want to hit my head. <laughs> it's like, yeah. but I, I totally the money know. Made you know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> but I know exactly what you mean, though. There's moments where, as women, we're like, I mean, maybe we feel like that just because of our hormonal whatever, but it's like, ah, like you want to feel like that all the time. Yeah. You know, it's, that's so yeah. relatable. Yeah. So I appreciate yeah. that. That was yeah, so. You got it. Um, I got guess it's on me. <laughs> so moving on. So obviously our podcast, you know, our, um, I should say our demographic is black men and women and you know what I mean? But we do try to reach people in the space. I should say mental health reaches for everybody. So if you're whatever you are, you never talked about mental health, you hit us. So my next question is about how many black Americans have you seen in your line of work, especially when it comes to like the intervention? Um, and do you think it's a disconnect between one's access to help and understanding that there's help available? Yeah, I'd, I'd say all of the above. I mean, access to and, and help available, because I can tell you this in the in the field that I am as an interventionist, mm -hmm. you know, I would say a majority of people in the field, men and women that I'm aware of and stuff are white men and women. Mm -hmm. just, it is, you know, and mm -hmm. um, but here's the thing about addiction and recovery. You know, addiction doesn't give a crud who you are. Right. It doesn't give a car care what you drive or anything like that. It just it wants you. And so does recovery. Right. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I hear people say, well, there's, you know, the limited access to to help, which I would agree there's a barrier there. Right. But here's right. the cool thing that there are tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of free programs out there that I say, hey, if you can't afford help, here it is. I mean, I get, I get calls all the time from people. I don't know what color they are when they're calling. It's just like, hey, I, I need help. And they, people send me messages on Facebook and emails. I'm, I've never met these people. you know. I, and again, I don't know what color they are. But what I do say is that if you don't have the resources, as a lot of people do, don't. I mean, who, who, I mean honestly, like, as interventionist, I look at residential treatment centers and I'm like, why, why, why are people spending 40, 50, 60 grand a month on residential treatment? I, I had desire. Oh, they're in Malibu. Yeah, yeah, oh man, <laughs> here, here in Colorado, anywhere, but I had desire. Yeah. And I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. So I went to an AA meeting 
because I tried to commit suicide the night before I got sober 21 years ago. And I went to a recovery meeting and I found like-minded people and it was all colors, all ages, all wealth statuses. It was everybody. And it was, and there's this phrase in recovery. It's like in the big book, it says people that normally would not mix. Oh, I like that. And we would go out to meetings. We would go out to coffee afterwards and just, or, or to a restaurant and order like 30, 40 desserts, you know, and people thought we were (laughs) drunk. And it was like, you know, it was like, you know, old white guys, old black guys, Asian, I mean, whatever. It's just like, it was just all different, just everybody. And it's, it's a hodgepodge of people, but that's our world. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. And, and I've, I've sat down with people before, like, man, it's just, I just can't get, I just can't get help. I mean, so how many people have Medicaid that have trouble finding help? Well, guess what? Yep. I got to tell you this. There is NA, AA, CA, Celebrate Recovery, Smart Recovery, Dharma Recovery. There are so many mm. recovery type things out there that are free. Yep. All you got to do is Google them or go to liftedfromtherut.com and check out my resource page. And there's all over there with sex addictions, porn addictions. I mean, everything. Mm. Yeah. And so- but I do believe there's a barrier to help for sure. To help. Mm-hmm. Um, well, from said, my perspective, because I, th- I, I worked in a, re- not that kind of residential treatment, <laughs> but I worked in one where, you know, it, they were kind of, well, it's called diversion, right? They were diverted from jail yeah. because of the mental health issue that they had. But most of them also had substance use issues. And some of them, their mental health came from their substance uh, use issues. But um from my experience working with that population of people dealing with substance use issues is that they, you know, it wasn't, it, a lot of their introductions to AAs, NAs and all those things were, were more like outside people wanting them to do it rather than them wanting to. And yeah. so I feel like that's also why some populate and a lot of them were people of color. Right. So I feel like that's also sometimes the barrier. It's like, the only time that people offer these things to me is when I'm already in trouble. <laughs> you know, it's like, now I want you sober for X, Y, and Z, rather than like when I was out on the streets homeless and, you know, yeah, you know, all these other That's things, true. people weren't offering this to me. So I, I wonder if like, I mean, I haven't been there personally, but I'm just wondering if that's part of the aversion for some people. Yeah, it can be. And I've, I've interviewed like 400 people on my podcast shows and stuff. And it's people from all walks of life, which is great. And they all have their own stories. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it, it boils down for me. It's like, if people were listening to this on their phone or whatever, wherever they're listening to it on a computer somewhere at the library or just at home, whatever it is. If, if the desire is, is deep enough, people are going to take the initiative to just ask for help somewhere. Right. And it, it just boils down to desire and want. I mean, you can get sober for free, 100% for free. Just go into recovery meetings, find in local resource at crisis centers, go into those, all those things. Cause I mean, again, in prison, I mean, everybody wanted to go to an A meeting because you got out of your cell. <laughs> it was like, I'll go to the A meeting. There's an NA meeting. I'll go to this thing. I don't even care about religion, but I'll go to like. That's not true. You say that. That's true. And it's documented in that show that was very popular, Orange is New Black. But we saw that. A lot of them yeah. were like, oh, I'll do it. It's just to get out. The, just to know? get out. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I never yeah. really put that together. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, it was, it was a crazy journey because I was supposed to be gone for 13 years and God got me out in 10 and a half months. That was a just a huge but blessing. That, but again, absolutely. Uh, Wait, the journey, and, and, the journey sucks a lot. I didn't. I didn't point this out on your story. I didn't want to take up too much time, but you were like, my business was failing. I didn't have <laughs> any income. My wife didn't have any income. We were hopped off on energy drinks. Then I went to prison. It's like, oh my god, what happened? <laughs> 
I was just bored. Like, I just walked in and said, take me. I can't handle like, it. Hey, it can't get worse. I might as well go to prison. Why not? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I, want three, I want three meals. I want a cot that actually. Wait, for real. That's the way, legitimate. The beds suck in prison. I literally still have sciatic issues from sleeping on the bed. Yeah. You roll over and you're like, men go in healthy and come out because you roll over and you're, you know, you're like grinding your hip bone on just metal the mattresses aren't that thick but yeah i went to prison just to let you know mental breakdown set some stuff on fire it was a mental blackout it was a bad deal nobody got hurt it wasn't anything that's what it was so in case you're wondering like why you know why why the 40 something year old man go to prison well they're gonna google you anyway and find out He didn't have yeah. enough outlets for him himself to express Absolutely. himself, mm-hmm. and it turned out to be that. That was That's how right. you yeah. got it out. Absolutely. So guys, please speak up. So, I mean, I don't know if you already mentioned to us what this moment may have been, but in either your own recovery or in through the podcast work or the the talks and or you know one on ones that you do with people, like what would you say was like a very memorable moment, like something that stuck out for you and i'm sure there's many but like i guess whatever one comes to your head first that yeah, you don't mind sharing in relation to my story or people i've sat down with either whichever one i guess comes first out of your mouth oh, man. well <laughs> I, I can tell you this um i'm grateful for people that care because that's how i found healing right and it was immediately like after the fire happened i had a couple of pastors that really rallied around me and and just loved on me and discipled me and said hey that's you did is not does not define who you are Let's figure out how you got there so you don't have to go there again. So the biggest thing for me has been positive male, positive mentors, men and women in my life that have spoken truth into me, called me on my bologna sandwiches, right? And stuff. But um, people are the huge thing. And and I would say this too, like, you know, since we're, we're talking a little about prison, I mean, people wrote me letters in prison all the time. I mean, it was my birthday and the guards, the, the COs, the DOs, the, the whatever you want to call them, the O's, right? They were like, dude, who are you? And I just, I'm just grateful I have a good community of people because um, I got like 40 something birthday cards in prison. And so I say to people, hey, if you have a loved one that is incarcerated mm-hmm. or is in addiction treatment or something somewhere, write them a letter. You don't understand how, like, she was awesome. I love this woman. She sent me a birthday card, like a St. Patrick's Day card, an Easter card, a Thanksgiving card, a Christmas card. Like Roxy wrote me all the time. And it was just like, hey, love you, Roxy. Yeah, right. Made you feel included, even though like you're not out, like you're a living person in society, even though they took where you live in society. I mean, I'm a criminal justice reform activist. I went to this college to study criminal justice. So you're speak. We'll bring you back for that podcast (laughs) because we agree absolutely, and that's like a whole separate set of questions. And you know, but I appreciate you plugging that stuff in, and we talk about it all the time. So yeah, Yeah. I'm trying to get Rikers Island closed here in New York City. Personally, because and speaking of intervention, I think. That's like the important, like where you talked about earlier, like families, you know, um, feeling guilt, you know, probably because they know in some ways they may be enabled or maybe been too, too distant. You know, there's, there's, I'm sure a lot of familial guilt that comes with being a secondary and third victim to, you know, whatever with, with the family member. But, you know, I, I think like some people, especially you have these popular shows like intervention, when some people think about intervention, they only think about that one moment when you come and you bring, oh, this is what's happened and this is how you used to be and how we miss you and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, okay, well, you know, you guys cared enough to sit down and, and have this with this person. What are you doing to support and, and to be present in whatever way afterwards? 
And I like, like I said, I worked with people who have mental health issues and substance use issues. And sometimes the family, the only thing that they stayed involved in was making sure they got the SSI check. Like yeah. other than that, it's like, there wasn't any real connect. It's like, you're getting over a thousand dollars for this person. You're not even sending them a hundred to get clothes. Like, you know, like, where's the care? Where's the connection coming from? Like, and so it's like, I think the part, I'm, I'm sure you guys talk about this, you know, and lift it from the rep, but, you know, I, I, maybe you could touch on that a little bit more like that after the recovery part and how people can be supportive. That, that's huge. That's the biggest part right there. I mean, it's, it's people say, well, what's your success rate in getting people to get help? I said, well, it's really, there's, I don't give percentages. I'll say, look, it doesn't matter if the loved one goes to get help or they, they do, you know, they're good with their case manager if they're incarcerated or they're doing their, going to their therapist and stuff. But if you're just sitting over here, kind of like I'm waiting for them to get healthy and you're not doing anything, then how can you fault them? It's like, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Absolutely. Right. And so mm -hmm. I'm all about the familial system, like huge on community counseling and coaching. So we got to do counseling to understand how we got here. We got to have community to understand the present and we have to have coaching to see like, man, there's so much more ahead for me that I don't even know is part of. So it's the family is huge. The family's a lot of times the harder, the harder part of the process than the person that struggles with whatever. Right. Cause they see it. <laughs> Again, yeah. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And the family just want, they want to blame and blame and blame. And one of my, so I am, it sounds kind of flippant sometimes, but I'm kind of like, I hold the mirror up in front of the family and say, look, you've been complaining about your husband. He's been drinking and doing drugs and doing this for 20 years. And, all yelling and all this stuff. And it's like his fault, his fault, his fault, his fault, or flip the script, her fault, her fault, her, her fault. Right. And it says, we all need to own hundred percent of our side of the street and it can't always be their fault. Or, I mean, you're never going to make it together. And uh, last one thing I want to say is a friend of mine said this, his name's Chuck, Chuck Robinson, great guy. And he goes, if you send a loved one away to get help and they teach them French and all they learn is French when they're gone, and they come home and all they speak is French. They can't remember a lick of English. And they're in your house going, we, oui, we, oui, but I don't speak French. <laughs> and you're like, what the heck are you saying? And it's like, if you would have studied the French while they were gone, you would understand some words. So they got to get the same mm. language in the household or it's just, it's not going to work. That's dope. And the aftercare is huge, whether it's like sober living or reentry housing or whatever and counseling. And if they don't stay in it, because we do it for a while, right? Like me, I mean, 11 years sober. I was good. I didn't need to go to meetings anymore because I had a business to run. I didn't need to go to meetings anymore because I had a wife. I didn't need to go to meetings anymore because I had two kids. I was too busy. Oh, yeah. Playing competitive. I, I think stuff. you're jumping over one of my questions. I'm just uh -oh. looking. But that uh, was my I'm, next question. I'm jumping in. Let's jump. Okay, <laughs> no, you're pause. fine. No, I, love fine it. I, love, I love when that happens. It's a conversation. And we're long time anyways, and you're you're actually addressing a lot of what we, oh, we have to say. Yeah, so I no. think that's, that's good. Yeah, um, I literally was going to say lifted from the rub and on the ground level sounds like they would be friends, right? Like our podcast. So I said, what drive you to share so much of what you personally experienced in your podcast and with your books? And then you started just saying it. So oh, yeah. keep going. Yeah, because well, <laughs> just just the yeah, I, I don't I don't want to go back to where I was before. Right. Right. People used to mm. call me a rubber band. They're like, Loman, you're like a rubber band. You just keep bouncing back. And I'm, I look back, I go, I don't want to go back there. Right. I want to go forward in my life. So it was learning new skills and tools and I mean, investing in coaches for myself has helped me grow as a man and being a part of men's groups and being involved in my church has helped me grow as a man. And, and I learned how to be vulnerable healthily because sometimes you can kind of like in the beginning, we kind of breeze over this. Well, I had this things going on, but then I went to prison. You're like, wait, 
what happened in between there? We want to know that part of it. Right. And, um, and that's just part of it is, is the more I share, I get healing from that. And, and it was interesting when I wrote my, my book in uh, the addiction intervention book, I was writing my chapter in it. And, and there's 10 other chapters with other professionals and they tell their own stories. And I was like, you know what, this is the chance to really just tell my story in my book to get it out to people instead of sharing on podcasts, all that stuff. Right. And I have another big book coming out next year, but, but it's just like that right there. People read it like, Holy crap, you're real. When I go into an intervention, like who the heck are you sitting in my house, bro? And I go, well, let me tell you real quick. And I have this little spiel. I, re I reel off to him like, Oh, all right. You've been through some stuff. So going to prison gives me street cred in my industry. Right. They're like, Okay, here you are. Here you are. I can't. It's like you like, went that's to the prison? only thing I'm missing. It's like you didn't yeah. go to jail. I'm like, no. It's like you don't know. I'm like, yeah. it's a mental institution, though. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. does give you credit. It's weird. Like I, I've been in here. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I like the I like about what you share, and you also like plug some resources. So since we're like lower on time, do you mind just like reiterating the resources that you? like some of the ones that you listed as well as the free recovery book. Yeah. 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 So go to free recovery book.com, but also on my website, if you go to uh, lifted from the rut.com, there's a resource page and it lists all these 12 step free support groups, all the stuff for the family and for the loved one as well. It's not location based, right? Cause we know you're no. in this is all, all over the world. I mean, okay. when I went to Rome in year two of my recovery to run a marathon, the only thing I want to do is to go to a meeting. I didn't care about the Coliseum. I didn't care about all that stuff. I wanted to go find my people in recovery over in Rome, Italy. And it was so cool. That's important to say, like, not, not just, you know, you wanted to go to eight, but just showing people, because a lot of people, when they're like moving around and they have other stuff going on, they're like, well, I can't still do my blah, 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 because I'm going to be doing this. And it's like, no, like you, you got to make time for it. This has to be a part of your everyday routine, you know, and it has to be a habit. Yeah. Yeah. When I would travel for work, I worked in a six state region when I first got sober, I would literally call the local recovery place and say, I need a sponsor in your area. Cause I'm coming in. I don't want to drink. I don't want to drug, blah, blah, blah. And they give me some guy's name and I call him and I call him when I got there and I took action for my recovery. Nice. Okay. So I guess just outside of the resources, like what's, so you said taking action having a community, like what, what would be like the, the maybe like top three to five things that you would say will be important for somebody who's either starting their, their, you know, the stages of change, maybe they yeah. haven't started the actual process yet, but they're thinking about it or they're at the beginning, like what would be some things you would tell them? Yeah. Well, if you step into it, step into it, looking for the, the similarities, not the differences. That's huge because mm. we, can, we can we can compare ourselves right out of recovery, which yeah. is huge. Call a local crisis center. I mean, every place has a crisis center somewhere close by. Call them and say, what are your resources? I got no cash. I need some help. What do you need to do? Or I have a ton of cash and I need some help. What do I need to do, right? And, so, and then find like-minded people. I mean, I think guys should recover with guys. Girls should recover with girls. And a point when you get to a healthy point, then you recover with the opposite sex all you want to or whatever, or, who, or whoever right. you want to partner up with during your journey, right? Mm -hmm. So community is huge. Get some counseling help. Just find those resources in your community. And uh, I will say this, the internet can be misleading. So mm -hmm. if you really, really, really want like some good help and you, and you message me, if I don't know someone in your area, I'll connect you to people in that area that I can find for you.
So hopefully that'll help some people out. The freedom to reach out and just say, hey, I need some help, man. What do I do? What do I need to do, Rob? And I also have, um, well, anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. Yeah, so that's kind of what I'm saying. <laughs> you had another plug, huh? <laughs> well, no, there's a, I, I mean, I have like some online free course stuff that people can do that gives them really help on how do you find a good counselor? How do you find the right community? How do you find like a good coach to help you kind of move forward and all that kind of stuff too. And, um, but if they just go to Lifted from the right, they can find all that stuff on there. Yeah. And we'll maybe just like even pull some of those things up, like on our website for people, because yeah. some people don't like to read. Some people don't like watching videos. So it's like, we want to make sure that they see that there's something for each person to, to be able to find something. Yeah, for okay, sure. Well, yeah. Thanks again. And uh, so yeah, that's lifted from the rut.com. On social media, it's Rob Lohman, and that's L-O-H-M-A-N, lifted from the rut all together to find, at least on Instagram, that's how I found you. <laughs> Facebook, <laughs> I know you have the lifted from the rut page. Uh, so if you want to find him on there, you can find that as well. And we really appreciate this again. Like if you know any men as well that will be, you know, um, up to speaking about whatever they've been through, please share. Maybe we can finally do a panel. We have had a plan to bring a few men together to discuss. Cause like you said, community being vulnerable with other men sometimes is helpful. Cause they be talking yeah. to women and they like that's why we're trying to wrap it up. But it's like we struggle with <laughs> to get people up here. Like, why y'all right. just go to the, the, the group? Is that what it is? Let us know. I got your people. I we'll talk. I'll we'll talk. I got your people. We'll talk we offline. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> awesome. Oh, yeah. Thanks again for, okay, for so everything. Much. Yeah. This was and a good everybody one. who's listening, thank you for tuning into on the ground level podcast. Again, we're available on all streaming platforms. And if you can't find us for whatever reason on there, you can always find our links through our website for usnation.com. Yep. Um, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you again, Rob. Thank you very much, ladies. Thanks.